0: Hi, my name is Caitlin, and welcome to The Gospel House. Our mission here at The Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ.
1: to kick off a new sermon series. Uh, We are going to be sitting in this sermon series for a little while, probably uh, throughout the majority of the summer. Sit in it, and it ties in directly with what we talked about last week. Uh, If you were here with us last week, we kind of closed out uh, part of our implications series. I'm sure we'll pick it back up uh, because that's a question that we constantly need to be asking ourselves. What are the implications of the gospel and how do I apply them to every part of my life? Um, but uh, last week we left off at the end of 2 Corinthians with Paul telling us about gospel power, right? He told us that, that God's power, and this God tells Paul, this is a pretty familiar story to a lot of Christians, but Paul has this thorn in his flesh, this, this temptation from Satan that Paul has prayed for again and again that won't leave him. And God's response to Paul's prayer is not, oh yeah, Paul, I'll take that from you. It's, hey, Paul, your weakness is to show you that my strength is made perfect in your weakness, right? God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And church, we got to grab a hold of this, because for too long, The church has been trying to perfect God's power in our strength. And so we look at, well, what are the things that we're good at? What are the things that the gospel house church is good at? And let's excel in those things. That's not scriptural, though. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Are we foolish enough to believe that is the question. What do you think? Yes? Yes? I hope so. If it's God's word, I'm going to believe it, right? This isn't a trick question. I, I do a lot of trick questions, so I understand you're a little hesitant. You don't want to put it all out there. Yes, no. No. it is. We want to be foolish enough to believe this. Ladies and gentlemen, God's words make God's word makes no bones about it. This will always be foolishness to the wise. Always. This will always be weakness to the strong. That's what the gospel is, and it will always look that way because that's what the cross of Jesus Christ looked like. You want to be Jesus' disciple, right? you got to do it his way. We've got to become foolish. We've got to become weak, and that's how God's power moves. So now we move into this gifted series, and we're looking at specifically the gifts of the Spirit, Right? Because we want to move in God's power, right? I, as, as the pastor here at the Gospel House, I want our church to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. I want our church to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, y'all, if somebody gives you a gift, have you guys ever gotten like a, a or you've given somebody a gift or like a gift card or something like that, and then you like go over to their house like months or years later, and you just see the gift you got, them like gathering cobwebs over in the corner. It kind of ticks you off, doesn't it? It's like, what the heck, man? I spent good money on that. If you're not gonna use it, could you give it back to me so that I can use it, right? But the same thing happens with the gifts of the Spirit. God has given us these gifts. And a lot of times, and, and you know, everybody's got their own story. I've got my own story with the gifts of the Spirit. But a lot of times, we don't use those gifts because we've seen somebody get really weird with it. Somebody's made us feel really uncomfortable. We've seen somebody abuse the gifts of the Spirit. And so we stop it entirely. We cut it off entirely, right? But if God has given us a gift, and ladies and gentlemen, God didn't spend 50 bucks on this gift for you. Jesus Christ gave his life. Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross. The Son of God, God himself, was crucified to give you this power to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. So we got to walk in those gifts. If he's given us the gift, we got to walk in it, right? But we got to do it right. And so that's where we start today. I pulled up, actually, this is funny. Sometimes, you know, God speaks to you through his word, sometimes through prophetic utterance, you know, like whatever it is. Sometimes he speaks to you through comic books, and this I'm not I'm not kidding you. This is when I started thinking of this sermon series, this was the first thing that popped in my mind. Some of you will recognize this. This is a far side comic. All right, it's if you can't read it it says the Midvale School for the Gifted. All right, and it's got this gifted student pushing with all of his might against this door that says pull. It's funny, right? Some of you are old enough to remember newspapers. You guys remember those comics? Yeah, the Far Side comics were always in there. But look, this is funny. But, ladies and gentlemen, I feel like this is how the church today is operating. I should say, the Western church today, in large part. Not every church, not every person. But I feel like this is how the majority of churches in the Western world, in the United States, are operating in the gifts of the Spirit. We talked about this last week. Jesus is already in you, right? Guys, the, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if, you have, if you've given your heart to him, if you have, you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, guess what? The Holy Spirit's already in you. The Holy Spirit, the, the only way anyone can accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is if the Spirit has already worked that in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is already working in you if you've made that decision to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit is already working. But yet, in the church today, even though we are gifted, we find ourselves pushing against this door that says pull. Because we are so convinced, I know how to do this. I can do this. And so I push with all of my might against this door. But God says, y'all, I didn't tell you to push. I told you to pull. And the door comes open. So a lot of the problems that we have today in trying to operate in these gifts is that we're not doing it God's way. See, we either overemphasize the gifts or we underemphasize them. Let's be honest. When you operate in the supernatural, it's a little uncomfortable, right? If any of you say no, you're lying. Because here's the thing when I'm operating outside of a power that's not my own, I don't know what's going to happen next. And that should make you a little uncomfortable. But guys, Jesus didn't die on a cross to make you comfortable, right? And so we want to operate in these gifts, we want to move. You know, or sometimes we fall into the opposite side of this. Instead of, instead of staying so far away from the gifts, no, 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 I just don't. I'm saved, I'm good, I don't need to do any of that stuff. Sometimes we're over on this end. We love the dramatic. We love the flair. And so we pick up the glory flags and we run around the sanctuary. We're trying to take people out at the knees. Slain of the spirit. No, you just knock them over, boss because we love the drama that comes with it, right? But unfortunately, when that happens, we start to see a lot of individual personality that comes out. And that can't be the case. Uh, Martin Luther, he, the German Reformed theologian, he you know, brought about the Protestant Reformation and all that stuff over in Germany, but he had a, has a really great quote, and it applies to so much of life, and I think it really applies to the gifts of the Spirit. He says, the enemy doesn't care what side of the horse you fall off on as long as you don't stay in the saddle. And that's exactly what the enemy wants with the gifts of the Spirit. He says, yeah, man, go crazy. Do a bunch of stuff in the Spirit that's not actually biblical. Scream at each other, run around the sanctuary, do cartwheels, do all that stuff and call it gifts of the Spirit because as long as you're doing that, nobody's going to pay attention to the real gifts of the Spirit. The louder you are with those gifts, the less people are going to be able to hear the real gifts in operation. Or, he says, hey, look at all those crazy people doing cartwheels over there. This stuff's not real. Throw it out. Gifts of the Spirit aren't for today's church. You shouldn't operate in those today. But both of those are falling off the saddle. And we've got to stay right in the middle. We've got to stay in the saddle. So we've got to get, us, get this right. God has gifted us. He has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we would walk in him. And so we've got to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, the gift of the Holy Spirit, operating in the Holy Spirit, is just as much a part of the gospel as original sin and salvation from sin. It's just as important a part of the gospel. You guys know my my little gospel saying, I can't, but Jesus did and will through the Holy Spirit in me. That's the gospel in a nutshell. So many people cut it off after Jesus did, right? Jesus hanging up on the cross said, it is finished, and so my gospel is closed. Problem being, you don't get the rest of the story and how to walk out what Jesus did. Because if Jesus just said, it is finished, story done, it's over, I'm living up to an example. And Jesus Christ did not die to be an example for you. He died to give you the very power of God living inside of you. And guys, that's not, that's not like original. That's what this, the plan was from the very beginning of this book, that's why we have prophecy after prophecy after prophecy in here that the Holy Spirit would call, come and dwell on all flesh. Everyone, man, women, children, everyone, all flesh. It's significant that they use that word all flesh because it means everybody. If you have breath, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. And the Holy Spirit is in you the moment you decide, I'm following Jesus. I'm doing this his way. But we've got to do it his way, right? This is what we talked about last week. You want to have God's power, you've got to do it his way. And so to understand God's way, we start today, we start this whole gifted series by looking at God's greatest gift to us. And I think that this really is the source of so many of our problems in the Christian faith. When we follow Jesus, we put far too much emphasis on the things of this world and not nearly enough emphasis on the things of the next world, of eternity, right? There's a story in the Old Testament of Jacob and Esau. You know, they were constantly warring with each other, their brothers, Esau comes in from the field one day, and he's absolutely famished. You know, he's kind of a drama king, so he says, if I don't eat something, I'm going to die. And Jacob says, well, I have this fresh bowl of stew here, and I'll give it to you for your birthright. And Esau says, I'm going to die. If I don't eat, give it to me. And we say, oh, that's a cute story. Yet so many of us do the exact same thing with Things of eternity. God has laid out eternity before us. He has put eternity in our hearts. And we trade it for a bowl of soup. We can't do that. But in order to understand ways that we do that, the only way to really look into ourselves and see areas that we're doing that, we need the Holy Spirit and we need to understand God's greatest gift. And we really see. This, God's greatest gift, laid out clearly in the way that the Holy Spirit works. And I should asterisk that and say, in the way the Holy Spirit properly works. Because a lot of people will call things a move of God. A lot of people will call things a move of the Spirit. But if you look scripturally how the Spirit really moves, you see that these things really don't line up that we put a lot of ourselves into these spiritual gifts, and we've got to pull that back. We want to get to a point in our walk where it is all him and none of me. You know, this really is the reason why Paul writes 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. A lot of people run to those passages, you know, when we start talking about gifts of the Spirit, those are always the popular ones to come out, you know, because he explains, he goes through the gifts of the Spirit, you know, one by one, lays them out, but the reason Paul's writing these is because the Corinthian church isn't walking in them. They're doing weird things. They're operating in the gifts man's way. And so Paul writes these things and says, Guys, if you're going to use God's power, if you're going to walk in God's power, you've got to do it God's way. And so he pulls them back in to point them to God's greatest gift. And we see that gift, God's greatest gift, so clearly in Ephesians 1. And so that's why we start there. God's greatest gift in Ephesians 1 through the Holy Spirit. And this is what we see. see, number one, the Holy Spirit as our leader. Number two, we see the Holy Spirit as our down payment. And number three, we see the Holy Spirit as God. And all of those things that we see in Ephesians 1 bring us... To a clear view of God's greatest gift. So first, the Holy Spirit as our leader, and you all have heard this a million times, and you'll hear it a million more, because this is a pet peeve of mine. I do not like it, but our churches today put so much emphasis on leadership, on being a leader. Alpha males only apply, and lead to the promised land, right? That's what we want our pastors to do but is that biblical? Is that biblically what a pastor is called to do? And I would argue that it's not. Because unfortunately, as our Western culture has put such a priority on leadership, you know, build up leaders, build up leaders, raise up leaders, raise up leaders, make yourself a better leader. Everyone wants to be a leader, right? Come on, you guys remember kindergarten? Nobody wanted to be in the back of the line. You wanted to be the line leader, right? Doggone it, I'm going to march this line straight down to the cafeteria and they're going to get their lunch and it's because of me. But see, I think that's our problem. I think that's why we like leadership so much. Because we can tell people, oh yeah, it's God. I mean, it's God. It's God working in me. But, uh, but we get the little gold star, but I'm the leader. But it's, I, I'm the one leading this thing. I'm the line leader. If I would have ducked out, they would have gone to the bathroom, not the cafeteria. And we convince ourselves that we have something to do with that process. And it may not be much, but we rob God of a little bit of that glory when we need to give it all to Him. But you can't run a business without a leader, right? Is the church a business? When did that happen? I don't remember that in the gospel. But in doing this, as the church has continued to push this, to put it, putting these leadership standards and values and all this stuff, charismatic leaders and flashy people and all that stuff, as we continue to stress that, and that's who we want in our pulpits, we've forgotten how to follow. Become a better leader. But we've forgotten how to follow. Follow. And ladies and gentlemen, what is the first command of every disciple of Jesus Christ? Follow me. Every single disciple of Jesus. You know, a lot of people like to get into the, I will make you fishers of men. That was a that was couple disciples. But every disciple got, follow me. You follow me. Come on, what does Jesus say? You be a leader for me. He doesn't say that, does he? Anywhere in the Gospels, you follow me. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, what's he say? Follow me as I lead you to Christ. Nope. Follow me as I follow Christ. Or be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Guys, I think would people agree with me in here. Paul was a pretty good disciple, right? He did a pretty good job of leading people to Jesus he didn't lead. Paul trusted the Holy Spirit to lead. I am convinced more and more every day that I open my word. More and more every day that I put down every other book except for this book. Guys, I have told you guys this. I don't know if I'm ever going to read another book by a human author again. This has everything you need, Christian. You don't need any of these other authors, are they, is it awful to read other books? No. But guys, I personally don't know that I'm going back because I get the untainted word of God right here and the Holy Spirit can lead me. And I don't have to trust in Tim Keller to lead me because I don't want Tim Keller to lead me. I don't want Tim Keller to lead the gospel house. I say Tim Keller because he's my favorite if you didn't know that. I I love Keller books, but I don't know if I'm ever going to read another one again because there's so much good stuff in here. And if we will become weak, church, if we will become weak, if pastors will become weak, if you will become weak, and allow ourselves to simply be followers, not leading anything, but just following as best we can, I think God's going to blow the roof off of this church. And I think he's going to blow the gates of hell off their hinges. But we've got to do it his way. Look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. We're going to jump back. We actually talked about this. The very first sermon series here at the Gospel House called it our core series. We went through our core doctrine. It's actually still on our website or if you do iTunes or Spotify. It's on both of those podcasts if you just look up the Gospel House go way more in depth into who the Holy Spirit is in those. So if you're interested, you can check those out. But just for for a brief summary here, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, interesting thing, i got to cover this real quick, but in the Greek here, that word another, means another of the exact same kind, all right? Now, it does not mean, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is exactly the same. That's not what it means because we know this, right? Jesus was a person. Jesus came in human form. Jesus was limited to be in one place at one time. That's not how the Holy Spirit operates. So the Holy Spirit looks a little different. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is identical to Jesus, but it does mean That he is the exact same kind. All of the authority that Jesus has, the Holy Spirit has. All of the authority that the Father has, the Holy Spirit has. The Holy Spirit is God. That's what Jesus is laying out for us here. He works a little different. He looks a little different. He moves a little different. But he is the exact same type. He is God in the Spirit. Moving among us, living in us. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, on his way to be betrayed, you just wrap your mind around that? He gives us his most in depth teaching on the Holy Spirit. If you want to see it when you get home, John 14, 15, and 16. Isn't that incredible? On his way to be betrayed, heading to the cross, Jesus says, I got to teach these guys about the Holy Spirit. Talk about a selfless man. Isn't that incredible? That's the God you serve. I also find this interesting about when Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. Not once does Jesus mention the gifts of the Spirit. Soak that in. Jesus's emphasis is always the person of the Holy Spirit. Never the gifts. So why do we always make it about the gifts? The only time some churches talk about the Holy Spirit is when we talk about the gifts. But it's the person of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is interested in teaching about. And what does he teach us about this person? John 16 tells us this. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit, first priority for the Spirit, to lead us into all truth. And this is where we get our discipling handbook, Gospel House. It's not thousands of pages long. It's not a page turner. It's not going to sell in the New York Times bestseller because it's right here. Actually, the Bible is on the New York Times bestseller list, so it will sell. But it's, it's right here. This is how we disciple here. This is how you should disciple in your life because look at what it tells us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not speak of his own initiative. So why do we? Ladies and gentlemen, when you disciple with someone, are you giving them your advice? Are you speaking on your initiative? Or are you speaking of someone else's initiative? Are you listening to what the Spirit says and saying that? Because guess what? None of y'all need to hear what Jeremy thinks about something. I'm too screwed up for that to be beneficial. But all of y'all need to hear what the Holy Spirit thinks. And when we are surrendered to Him, that's whose initiative we speak. So if the Holy Spirit didn't speak of His own initiative, why do we? The Holy Spirit doesn't make up His own truth. So why do we? The Holy Spirit says exactly what He hears. Why don't we? See, it's interesting because this parallels perfectly John 8, 28. I've talked about this before. But Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me. You see in this come full circle here? Jesus doesn't do anything without first seeing the Holy Spirit move. I love, uh, it's in the book of Luke. Uh, it's specifically, I know for a fact, it's, it's where uh, the, they heal the paralytic. Jesus heals the paralytic. But, but the Bible tells us that Jesus perceived that there was power to heal. What's that mean? That means that Jesus saw the Holy Spirit working, Right? Jesus was so in tune with the Spirit of God. Jesus was so surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit that he saw, hey, the Holy Spirit's moving over here. Let's go. Hey, the Holy Spirit's ready to heal over here. Let's go. Hey, the Holy Spirit's speaking. This is what I'm going to teach. Guys, Jesus said nothing. Jesus did nothing on his own initiative. Why do we? You picking up on this? Jesus was 100% surrendered, 100% dependent upon the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why aren't we? Because for some reason in our foolish human brains, we've convinced ourselves, well, for like supernatural stuff, yeah, I I need to be dependent on the Spirit, but for all the other stuff, I can raise my kids on my own. I can do my marriage on my own. I can can talk to people about Jesus on my own. I can pray on my own. That's not what Jesus did. And if you want to be his disciples, we might want to do it his way. Isn't that a great idea? But this is what it means to be led by the Spirit. And God's desire is for the Spirit to lead us in all of life, not just part of our life, not just in church things but for every moment of every day, for every action, for every step that we take to be led by the Spirit, that we would not rely on man's way, but that we would rely on the Spirit's way in absolutely everything. So with that in mind, let's look at this passage from Ephesians. Paul tells us this, that he made known to us, who made known to us? The Spirit who leads us into all truth, right? He made known to us the mystery of God's will according to his kind intention which we purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Who leads us into this mystery of God's will? It's the Holy Spirit. That's his job. That is his first job. Paul tells us this twice. Once in Romans 11 and another time in 1 Corinthians 2. He tells us, who can know the mind of Christ? Right? Who can know the mind of God? Can you? Not by yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, get this down into your skull. Sink this down into your core. No man or woman can lead you to God's will. No man or woman can tell you God's will. No pastor, no matter how many credentials he has, no pastor, no matter how he operates in the gifts of the Spirit, well, he heals so many, he's got to know God's will. False. Unless he is being led of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, he can't tell you what's in God's mind because no one, knows God's mind, except the Spirit. You cannot discover God's God's mind by man's methods. You will never be able to walk in God's will man's way. Are you guys picking up on this theme? Because we are hammering it. I feel like every single message has it in it. We need this. We've got to stop trying to walk into God's will, man's way. People get so stressed out about walking in God's will, don't we? I, w- I would be lying if I said I was immune to that. Oh, God, I don't want to mess up your will. You're not that powerful. But, guys, you have got to walk in the Spirit because the Spirit is the only one who can lead you in God's will, He's the only one who knows the mind of Christ. So if you are going to follow a human, you better be sure that that man or woman is walking in the Spirit. Because if they're not, you will never get it right. If a church is going to follow a man or a woman, if they're not walking in the Spirit, they will never get it right. No matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what their social media page says, they will never get it right unless you are following that person as they follow Christ, the way that Paul sets it up for us. So let's look at all the ways the Holy Spirit leads us. Uh, And these these all break down in this this passage in uh, Ephesians 1. But we see the Holy Spirit leading us in all of these. Ephesians 1, 5 through 7, tells us that he leads us in the truth of our salvation. Says he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. He leads us into the knowledge of him the knowledge of who God is, the knowledge of who Jesus is, the knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is. Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He leads us in the knowledge of his will. We just read that. He leads us into our calling. Ephesians 1, 18, I pray that the eyes of your he- your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The Holy Spirit leads us in all of these things. And if you are trying to find them on your own, you will never get there. In our membership class last week, we talked about spiritual gifts inventories. For those of you who are there, for those of you who are not, I am not a fan of spiritual gifts inventories. Because guess what? Spiritual gifts inventories. While they serve a purpose, they're not bad. If you've taken one, don't, I'm not a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, there is no spiritual gifts inventory that can lead you into your calling. Nope. Cannot happen. Only the Holy Spirit can lead you into your calling. And you can manipulate that spiritual gifts inventory all you want. But just because you want to be a prophet doesn't mean God's called you to be a prophet. And so you've got to be in tune with the Spirit because He's the only one who can lead you into your calling. We've got to let the Spirit move. We have to be dependent upon Him. And I will be the chief of sinners for you. I will be the foremost. I will lead the charge in this and tell you, I I am nowhere near dependent enough upon the Holy Spirit. I don't let him lead me nearly in enough aspects of my life. It's got to be all. All or nothing. He's got to lead us. And when we let him lead us, when we grow in that dependence upon him, we get something so cool. You're going to get sick of this if you haven't heard it already. We get the Holy Spirit as our down payment. This is one of, this is probably my favorite chunk of verses in this chapter, but look at what God says. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of of his glory we've been talking a lot about anchors lately right where is your anchor guys the Holy Spirit is given to us as an anchor because if we operate in the spirit correctly there is nothing in walking in the spirit that should tie us or tether us down to this life you guys know what a down payment is right You know what a pledge is? Pledge is a promise, right? When I put a down payment on my house or on a car, what's that mean? I'm promising the bank that I'm going to pay the rest of it, right? So it's not all of it. It's just a little bit. But I promise you're going to get the rest. Guys, this is how messed up God's covenant is. (laughs) I say that it's messed up for us in a good way. Guys, God is the one pledging this to us. Can you see how messed up that is? Can you see how it takes the world's way of doing things and flipped it? Can you imagine if the bank said to me, well, Jeremy, we heard you want to buy a house. Here's $200,000 that we're going to give you as a promise that you're going to buy this house. I would love that, right? But that's not how the world does it. But in God's covenant, in God's way, he says, I am giving you this gift of the Holy Spirit as just a taste of what's to come. And church, if we operate in that, if we are dependent on the Holy Spirit, it's not gonna tie us deeper into this life. That's, that's the, guys, this is, this is a beef that I have with a lot of people who pray for healing. I, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for healing, but I am saying there are so many people who pray for healing as if that's the ultimate goal, right? Heal me or nothing, heal my loved ones or nothing. This is the ultimate goal, to stay here as long as possible. That's not how the gifts of the Spirit work, though. The gifts of the Spirit should be moving to say, man, I don't want to be here anymore. God, if this is just a taste of what's coming, if this is just a taste of what I have to look forward to in eternity, take me now. I want, I'm ready to go now. I don't need to see my girls get married. I don't need to see my kids grow up. I'm ready to go now. The Holy Spirit should never tie us deeper to this world. Because when we walk in the Spirit appropriately, when we walk in the Spirit God's way, it shows us where our anchor really is. Held firmly within the veil, in the holy of holies. It shows us that our true anchor is in God. And that's what we see in all of this. When we look at how the Holy Spirit leads us, when we look at how the Holy Spirit operates, when we look at all of this, it shows us the Holy Spirit is God. That's what Jesus told us when he said he's sending another helper. But more than that, when we look at how the Holy Spirit operates, it shows us that our goal is not the gifts of the Spirit. Our goal is not the power of the Holy Spirit. Our goal is just to be in the Spirit because the Spirit is God. God and the Spirit are one. God and Jesus Christ are one. When I draw into the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit fills me and is inside of me, that is the presence of God himself filling me. Guys, I would love to be a church. You see all the time these churches that you know they pour to the altars and pray, God, show me your glory. God, let us see your presence. God, I would love to be part of a church that recognizes his glory is already here. Like what we talked about last week, his presence is already perfected in me. It's already here. It's already filling me. And then when I step out, that's what I step out in. I don't have to pray, God, show me your glory. That, some of you guys know this, but that used to be the prayer of my heart all the time. Moses' prayer in Exodus 33, I think, 32, I can't remember. But, but I used to pray it all the time, and then one day God just smacked me upside the head and said, Jeremy, Stop. I've already shown you my glory. His name's Jesus Christ. And he moves within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, you've seen God's glory. You have tasted and seen his glory at work in you. But you've got to walk in it. We've got to lay aside all of these other false gospels and we've got to walk in the true gospel laying ourselves down laying everything else down and walking in God's way listen y'all there's a lot of voices out there aren't there and guys I I don't I have yet to hear a church the pastor stand at the pulpit and say listen y'all we are a prosperity gospel church and today we're going to be talking about how to make you more money they don't say that do they? And just because it's not about money doesn't mean it's not a prosperity gospel or a false gospel. But do you know how you can tell the real gospels from the false gospels? I misspoke. Forgive me. Do you know how you can tell the real gospel from the false gospels? Because there's only one. The real gospel will always lead you to the true prize. And who is that true prize? God. God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He is our prize. And this is the true test of the gospel. We talked about the test last week, right? This is the true test. Is God your goal? Or are you shooting for a bunch of other worthless garbage? And I'm sorry, y'all. Everything other than God is worthless garbage. Well, but I want the gospel to make my marriage stronger, worthless worthless y'all when you get to heaven marriage is done you've got one groom there's one marriage in heaven and that's you and Jesus get it right now and you know it's cool you get it right it's going to make your marriage better but let that be the byproduct don't make it the main thing whatever else you add you guys know I, I love this this quote but the Puritan minister John Owen quoted it a bunch I'll quote it again But he said this, my goal is God himself at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. And that has to be the cry of our heart because that is the true gospel. This is the measure of the true gospel and only the gospel can get us there. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Look, listen, we talked about this last week. You are already blessed. Do you need to do something to be further blessed? No, you are already blessed. Does Paul say you will be blessed with the spiritual richness? Does he say that? He doesn't. Does he? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You're already blessed. Walk in it. Stop stressing about it. Walk in it. Can the Holy Spirit just free somebody today? Stop worrying about it. You are blessed, you are gifted. Stop pushing on the pole door and walk through it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us according or uh, sorry, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now look, this is one of those things, we start talking about predestination, right? Well, what is it, predestination or free will? And we, you know, make it a big deal so that we don't have to talk about the real issues actually going on here. Can I tell you my thoughts on predestination and free will? Here it is, which one's right? Yes, both. Guys, you can't argue against predestination with a God who knows everything. He knows every decision you're going to make before you've made it. You know how you sit there at home and talk to yourself in the mirror and go through every single scenario of what's going to play out, and you say, well, he's going to say this, and so I'm going to say this back, and then he's going to say, he, he knows all the hypotheticals to every hypothetical you hypothesize. God's ten steps ahead of us. Does that mean you don't have free will? Absolutely not. You still have 100% free will to choose what you're going to choose. But he knows what your choice is going to be. And so he can work those choices out together for the good of everyone who loves him. Right? But we start to split hairs over this. And so we make, you know, Calvinists sit over here and everybody else sit over here. And you believe in predestination. And there's only 144 people who can get into heaven. And I believe that everybody can get into heaven. And I d- Stop. Who cares? It's a foolish argument. Trust God. He's going to get you where you need to go. That's all we need to know about it. But again, don't get lost in the weeds. Because in this passage, what is God telling us our greatest gift is? Him. Right? You have been blessed with every blessing you could ever ask for. And where is it found? In Him. Stop looking for blessing everywhere else. Stop convincing yourself that you're blessed if the Holy Spirit does miraculous things through you. Stop convincing yourself that you're only blessed if you have all the riches in the world and the nicest car and can go on all these vacations. Stop thinking that you're blessed if everything goes your way and nothing ever goes wrong. In fact, I would argue this for those of you suffering. You are more blessed in your suffering because it draws you closer to him. Guys, I would love you, I'd love to tell you that all my mountaintop experiences when everything's going swell and sunshines or, rays are beaming down on my face and everything that I am so close to God in those moments that it's unlike, no, that's never how it is. Maybe you've experienced it. I'm sorry, I never have. But when I am in the depths of my sorrow, when I am at the end of myself, when I feel like I am broken beyond repair, in the shadow of the valley of death, that is when I feel the Savior closer to me than ever before what Jesus tells us right all through the beatitudes it's not blessed are the rich it's not blessed are the well to do it's not blessed are those who never suffer it's the exact opposite because God is near to the brokenhearted, and when we lose it all here we figure out that we've already gained it all there we've already gained it all in eternity and we recognize that he is the true blessing he is the true gift I referenced this passage last week, but we're going to double down on it today. There's this story in the Bible that so many of us are familiar with, but we read it the wrong way. It's the story of the prodigal son. Have you heard it? It gets preached on a lot, right? But unfortunately, when we read this story and when this passage gets preached on, there's a lot of attention giving to the son who runs away, Right? There's a lot of, of attention given to the son who, you know, goes and, and spends all of his, you know, all the father's stuff and lives lavishly and wastes all of his wealth and, and just runs away from, God, from the father. But that's not the character that Jesus is drawing attention to, to his audience in the story. Because Jesus' audience in the story are the Pharisees, right? The ones who obey the law the ones who do all the right things but have been disconnected from the father's heart. And so it's actually the story of the older brother that we focus on because that's the moral of the story here. What happens with the older brother? He looks at all of these things the father is giving to this son who doesn't appreciate anything, this worthless child, who ran away and wasted all of these gifts that the Father has given him. And he says, what the heck, Dad? You're wasting all of this on him? I have been faithful. I have done everything you've ever asked of me. Why don't I get any of this stuff? Why don't I get any of these gifts? And what does the Father say to him? Says, my son, you have always had me. Everything I have is yours. Can I tell you today, prodigal? If you have stressed to walk in the gifts, if you've struggled to operate in the spirit. please relate to this son. Please look at yourself and see, I am that son. God, I have been crying out to operate in this gift. I have been crying out to do this in the spirit. I've been asking for a ministry position or I've been trying to do this ministry or whatever it is. But the father has been saying, all along I have always been with you and everything I have is yours that's your God y'all that is your God he has chosen although there is nothing you could ever do to deserve it there is nothing you could do to ever earn it he has chosen to save you and as if that weren't enough, he has chosen to come and make his home in your heart. So we could, we could, God could call everybody forward, and I've got this little bottle of anointing oil on my keychain. I could anoint you all on the forehead, it'd have to be a little drop because it's not a big bottle, but just a little dab, and I could, you know, we could all open up our hands and pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He's always been with you. The Holy Spirit has always been with you. You are sitting in this church right now. You are watching online right now because the Holy Spirit has always been with you. Walk in it. God's will, I, I was just laying this out the other day for someone, but God's will, it's, it's not a road where we've got to choose which path to go down a river and if you are in the spirit he's going to lead you right where you need to go so we can seek after these gifts of healing, we can seek after these gifts of prophecy, we can seek after these gifts of tongues, but guys if you're in the river, don't you think God's going to get you there? Rest in him and worship him so can we worship him right now? We're going to sing through this song that we sang earlier. All praise to the Lord most high. All praise to the one who saved my life. All praise to Jesus Christ, high King of heaven, my King forever. Church, let's worship him. And let's let that river of the Holy Spirit carry us. He has always been with you. He is in you. Let him do his thing and just surrender to him. Amen? Amen. Will you stand and worship with us?
2: treasure I
0: For listening to the Gospel House podcast, we pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like Him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website www. connect. Fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.